The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. This week, once again, is no exception. We've got two fantastic guests. They're both guys, guys. They're both good guys. And uh, one is a new guest, first-time guest, and the other is a return guest. Our new guest, his name is Jim Blake. He has written a book called The Zen Executive. It's about wisdom for enlightened leadership. Basically, we're going to talk about Is it possible to be a successful business person using spiritual values while in a leadership position? And the answer is a resounding yes. And Jim's going to talk to us about his experience as CEO of the Unity World Headquarters, which is a nonprofit and does a lot of fantastic work around the world. We've also got return guest, our friend Bill McKenna, who is the founder of the Cogno Movement. And Bill is going to show us some Uh, ways to manage energy like he always does. We're going to talk about if you've partied too much the night before, some things you can do naturally to address that, how to deal with exhaustion, and also how to enhance your energy. Once again, we're not doctors here, but with a couple of tips that Bill has discovered along the way, and they're all, all natural, and you don't have to take anything. It's just working with your energy, and I think you're going to Consider these as practices you might want to weave into your day-to-day existence. So that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. We bring you information. Hopefully, it'll be something that you want to use and things that'll help you live your best life. So what else is going on there? Well, we're rolling into November, heading towards Thanksgiving, heading towards uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Little Christmas, Three Kings Day. We've got so many different holidays coming up uh, and, and New Year's at, towards the end of the year that it's a time where people just kind of just go crazy and uh, any type of uh, discipline they might have about eating and drinking and all of that, it all seems to go out the window because there's so many, there's so much food starting with Thanksgiving and then you had already had Halloween with all the candy comes out and who can, uh, who can completely avoid that. And then you've got all those sweet treats that seem to come out between Thanksgiving and the, and the holidays where you've got the cookies and you've got all types of baked goods and it's just really tough to be disciplined. But do your very best. I'm going to do my best. I keep falling off the wagon in terms of my, my diet. But the one thing I've been doing well, I've managed to maintain is my intermittent fasting. Even if I've kind of fallen off my, my own kind of dietary rules every once in a while. I, I, I tried some chocolate because Halloween, my son had these bags of candy and stuff. But the intermittent fasting where I only eat between noon and dinner time, so usually around 6, 6.30 p.m., and then I don't eat again the next day until 12. And every once in a while, 
I will go from Monday evening to Wednesday at lunchtime, not eat at, during those times and only have either black coffee or maybe, maybe some celery juice or some, just some water. That's it. And it's really worked for me. I had tried intermittent fasting repeatedly and I never got anything out of it. And then I decided I'm going to do it and stick with it for a while and see what happens. And ultimately it started working. So I decided to continue it. I've been doing it almost the entire year and it's something worth researching, looking into. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it certainly has helped me. And with the holidays coming up, I think it's going to keep me on an even pace because I I haven't completely fallen off. I haven't gained any weight passing through Halloween, heading towards Thanksgiving. Anyhow, the holidays are coming, so loosen your belt or tighten your belt, whatever works best for you, but uh, it's here, and enjoy it, and enjoy your loved ones also. So, Guys Guys Radio, two special guests. We've got Jim Blake, we've got Bill McKenna, so let's get at it right now. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, it's the interview portion of our show on Guy's Guy's Radio. And today we're going to talk about Zen, the Zen executive, kind of uh, the synchronicity between spirituality and business. And maybe there's a question mark after that. You know, today's business environment requires a new kind of leader, one who's got empathy, flexibility, But how do you bring this type of clarity and vision to your business? In his new book, my special guest, Jim Blake, this book is called The Zen Executive, Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. Jim looks at practical spirituality as the foundation of good leadership. Drawing from his experience as CEO of the 130-year-old spiritual nonprofit Unity World Headquarters that you may be familiar with, The Daily Word, I just resubscribed, and a lifetime in corporate leadership. Jim provides advice on how to lead teams, companies, and communities while maintaining alignment to our principles and integrity. Jim is the CEO of Unity World Headquarters, where he previously served as Chief Information Officer, VP of Operations. Unity is a spiritual nonprofit founded in 1889 in Kansas City, Missouri. It helps people of all faiths and cultures apply positive spiritual principles to their daily lives. And Jim illustrates his ideas with stories from his own experience. And the name of the book, once again, is The Zen Executive, Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. We had a production issue on my end, but we're doing it again. So welcome back, Jim, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you. I'm glad to be here. So let's start right at the beginning with the big picture. What inspired you to uh, come back to a nonprofit? You were in a nonprofit. You got back into the more traditional corporate world, and you had some changes you went through and came back to the nonprofit. Now you're CEO of Unity World Headquarters. Yeah, so um, I spent, so you're right, I was here, and I left for about five years, and I was in uh, a global leading organization in energy management, as well as a global leader in traffic management systems. My background is largely in IT, and I found the work obviously quite rewarding. I learned a lot about what it takes to be a global leader um, in terms of culture and people and innovation, and that was all well and good. Um, but my uh, in 2015, my oldest daughter passed away after a bout with cancer. Sorry to hear that. And thank you. And when when something like that occurs, much like the pandemic over the last few years, you sort of re-examine your perspectives and your values and what's important. 
And not that those weren't beautiful and wonderful organizations I worked with. They absolutely were certainly value the experience I, I got there. But I, I left um, that experience with my daughter feeling like I wanted to do more in, in the in the in the chemo waiting rooms and in the hospitals. I saw people really struggling with what was happening, not only those afflicted, but the family members really struggling with with how to cope. And as I looked around the rest of the world, I, I see things like disease, you know, being at its highest level, anxiety, stress. And so it really left me at this place where I wanted to go work somewhere where I could have an impact on those things, where I could provide tools and resources to help people through the everyday struggles. And uh, Unity World Headquarters provided me that opportunity to do a lot of booklets and books and tools on how to deal with those things from a spiritual perspective. And so it felt really important to me, and, and uh, it was a great decision, and I'm, I'm certainly glad to be here. Congratulations on your wonderful work you're doing. The, the concept or the the idea of spirituality in business, mm-hmm. some people who are in business would say, you know, I don't, I, I'm about, about the bottom line, and however we get there, it's just win, baby type of thing. Or then maybe they give a nod to, yeah, yeah, spirituality, but it's a slippery slope sometimes to try to weave spirituality into the business world. And just that term itself can be polarizing to some people who might say, oh, that's all woo-woo stuff. That's not for us here. How does an executive start to begin to integrate the foundations of spirituality without, you know, hitting people over the head with, uh, you know, being preaching about it? Sure. So let's differentiate. We're not talking about religion in the workplace. We're talking about spirituality, which is a more fundamental aspect um, of approaching life in terms of compassion and empathy, self-awareness, uh, emotional intelligence, and spiritual intelligence. And so you can what I think where I think people often make this this disconnect is just where you started. It's all about profit and productivity. And so they come in and they lead heavy-handed or with fear and intimidation or command and control, demanding performance. And in the book, what I talk about is you can get there and even greater, Um, performance increases and greater engagement in your culture by doing just the opposite. It's when you lead with compassion and when, and people say, well, how are you going to hold people accountable if you lead with compassion? Well, you can do that. It's not, uh, they're not mutually exclusive. So I can still hold someone accountable as to whether or not they're performing their function, but I can do it in a humane way and in a conversational tone. I don't have to berate them and belittle them into trying to perform at a greater level. And so when you take the time to provide your associates with a, a great work environment, all the tools and resources they need, as a leader, you step in and remove any obstacles that that are hindering them for, from performing at their highest level, when they feel seen and heard and appreciated, and when you provide the proper work-life balance. So just think about that. They are more productive um, than they ever have been, and here's why. If you're being yelled at every single day and you're scared to death and make a mistake, you're in a constant state of stress and anxiety. You take that home with you. It impacts your whole life. That's why so many people have heart attacks on Monday mornings, right? Or Sunday nights versus if I feel seen and heard and supported and I love my culture and I love the leaders and the people I work with, I have no stress and no anxiety. So my performance level is at its optimum because I have no other distractions and I'm happy and content. And so. Um, it's really quite the opposite. So many people are afraid to make that leap because they feel like if they're not pushing people, they won't get the productivity one. And I'm here to tell you that just the opposite is true. The mm-hmm. greater 
work-life balance. And, and the, the more compassionate you are with those you lead, the greater engagement productivity you will have. Now, a lot of companies nowadays attracting Gen Z, et cetera, they'll have like basketball court or popcorn machine or places to meditate or, or whatever. How does, how does a company and a leader be careful that this is, doesn't become a window dressing or just a way to keep your employees at the office instead of living full productive lives? I've always been one that thought that you got to do your time in the office you got to or, or at your company, whether it's remote or not, and then you have to have your own life also, and that'll make you a better employee. How do you balance, how does a leader balance all that stuff to make sure you're offering things for the employees that are expected nowadays, but not having it come across as like window dressing and saying, okay, this is kind of our, here's our meditation room. Now, here's the bottom line. How do you, how do you come across in kind of a, a balanced way with this, Jim? Sure. So you mentioned the word um, early on. It's about integrity and authenticity. So if on one hand I'm doing ping pong tables and meditation rooms and I'm and and I'm showing you all these things but on the other hand I'm leading through fear and intimidation and I'm cutting vacation time wherever I can and I'm minimizing your employee benefits plan it's pretty clear that those aren't in alignment. And so when you're in integrity with the overall effort of putting your associates first that is seen and felt. And so there's a big difference. So yes, I have a meditation room and I see you're reaching out in this way by by enhancing our benefits package. I, I see that you're staying up to date with proper market increases in terms of my salary. I see that we have a quarterly social where I can connect. You demonstrate through family picnics every summer that you're committed to our families. And so I think if those two things are in alignment, it comes through as um, authentic and an integrity. But if there's a disconnect between the two offerings, then I think that's where you get in trouble. My special guest, Jim Blake, the uh, CEO of the Unity World Headquarters and author of the new book, The Zen Executive Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. Jim, uh, it seems like the change uh, always starts with oneself. So to, for you to go on the mission you're on now, I'm sure you had to go look inside and do some work on yourself. And when you work on yourself, I think we can agree that it affects other people in a positive way. And the best thing you can do to change the world is change yourself. What did you do for yourself? that put you in a position to be able to impact so many people in such a positive way? Wow, that is such a great question. And you are so 100% right on. Everything we do in life is an inside job. And so whether it's leadership or your own personal growth, it starts with where you are internally. And I will tell you, the, the biggest obstacle I had to overcome for me was my own bout with my own self-worth. Um, I grew up with a stepfather who had served in the military, was probably suffering from undiagnosed PTSD during my my formative years. And so I experienced a lot of verbal abuse and and uh, a lot of not being good enough. And so it took me a long time to do two things. Number one, unwind all that and become very comfortable with who I am individually and get to know myself. But number two, stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. So we all we all are almost slaves to this idea of they. What will they think? What will they say? Well, who is they? There is no collective they that is watching everything we do in our lives. And so the more we can sort of get comfortable with, I want to wear crazy socks, or I want to do this, I want to dress this way, I want to do this for a living, and stop trying to please other people, the more we get in touch with our authentic self. And when we get in touch with our authentic self, 
we then open ourselves up to um, really moving down a path that enriches our lives. And so that includes things like you begin to set appropriate boundaries. And the more you do the things that you like and that bring you joy, the more content you are. And so to your point, you then begin to express in a different way and you see the world in a different way. I'm hoping that makes sense, but it really has to do, you know, with, with um, your own, what I call self-awareness. And there are tons of books out there on self-awareness and emotional intelligence. And sometimes you have to do the hard work. So I had to look and, and identify what my triggers were. So what were the things that triggered me either emotionally, one way or the other? I had to process what that was, make peace with it, um, so that that was no longer a trigger that was holding me back from achieving what I wanted to achieve. So um, yeah, I would recommend as much work as you can do in the area of self-awareness uh, will truly, truly benefit you in reaching your highest mm -hmm. potential. Well stated, well stated. So you talk about five principles. I want to get into the five principles and kind of the four mm -hmm. steps, the four foundations of the work you're doing. So the five principles, God is a source, the universe is all there is and present everywhere. Human beings are individual exp expressions. Thoughts have creative power. Prayer and meditation keep us aligned. And it is not enough to understand spiritual teachings when we must live it. Talk to us a little bit about these principles. I think they're terrific. And then how do you, what was your first step coming into your organization, coming back to it, to implement some of these things? What did you see that needed to change and what did you do? So it didn't become like a sticker shock, like, oh no, you know, holy rollers coming back to the organization. You wanted it to be a positive change that people could really get behind. What, what, tell us about these principles and how did you start to implement them? So those are the five fundamental principles that undergird the unity teachings that were founded in the late 1800s, like you mentioned. And so the idea that there is this omnipresent intelligence that is behind everything in, in, the, in the universe, right? Um, and then uh, the idea, the real powerful idea is that the understanding that your thoughts, words, and actions create your experiences. So what that means is I'm not talking about the secret here where I think about a new car and all of a sudden I get a new car. What I'm talking about is the posture that you hold internally in your mind each and every day. We all have the chattering mind that is constantly chattering away. Every single one of us does. For a long time, I thought that was just me, <laughs> but I learned we all have it. And often it's really, really critical. And so that your, your mindset um, impacts your everyday experience. If you're walking around telling yourself that I am the unluckiest person alive, then every single thing that happens, you frame it in that lens. See, I told you, I'm the unluckiest person ever. Versus if you shift that perspective and say, I am open to the possibilities of, you know, this being a great day, or I'm the luckiest person alive, then you start to see the whole world with that lens and it begins to bend, it begins to build momentum. So it really does change your perception of how you see the world. Your mental framing is determining how you experience the world. So that's what we mean when we say thoughts and words um, relate to your experience of life. And then as it relates to prayer and meditation, look, and all of these things we're talking about, this isn't just Jim's philosophy. Uh, everything I talk about in the book has data behind it these days. People have done studies about the power of positive thinking and a, and a positive mindset. People have done studies about the power of meditation and what happens. Meditation is really about quieting that chattering mind. Because what happens is when you're just constantly in that thought spiral, you're not really present to what is around you, number one. 
But number two, you leave no room for inspiration or guidance. So you hear you hear people talk about intuition. That's not just reserved for psychics and and uh, you know gifted gifted people in that way. We all have an innate intuition and access to this intelligence. Meditation is about quieting the mind enough so that you can create a space for that inspiration and that guidance to come forth. And so the more you do it, the more you begin to experience aha moments that we have all had at one time or another. The more you begin to experience little synchronicities in life. And it's all related to the idea that you've you've gotten yourself out of this spiral of the chattering mind and created some some space for inspiration and guidance. Does that help? Absolutely. You talk about uh, the four core sections, Mm -hmm. really, also in the book, that your guiding principles that -hmm. you need to have as an effective leader, the mission statement as a work-centric practice, making the mission statement your own, and then living it in everyday life. You want to expand on that a little bit, Jim, because now we're taking the the principles, we're putting them into the foundation of what can turn into practices. Yeah, you have segued this beautifully, by the way. So we just talked about how thoughts and words and emotions can sort of impact our experience of life. And, and often in, uh, in spiritual circles, you'll hear people talk about affirmations, which are just really sentences of positive statements. Why are they necessary? Well, an affirmation can help you break out of a negative thinking spiral, right? So instead of saying, I'm worthless, um, you can say, I am worthy, and that becomes your affirmation. Well, if I translate that to a corporate culture, you create a mission statement that has some real meaning to everyone in the organization that serves there. You are now basically adhering to a collective affirmation. And so now you've got your whole organization that connects deeply with whatever this affirmative statement is, and it begins to guide their work. So for us, ours was to help and serve people through prayer, publishing, and community. So what stuck for our associates was to help and serve. So now the entire culture has become all about service, largely because we have this mission statement that we refer to all the time. We use it to guide our business decisions. We're going to make an investment or create a new product. Our first question is always, does this support our mission of helping and serving? And if it does, great. If it doesn't, then we should probably look at something else. So a mission statement can have that kind of power. It can be a touchstone for how uh, you do business and the decisions you make. But it's also really a rallying cry for everyone to get behind so that you're all moving in the same direction. So when you came into your new role, mm-hmm. what what are the things, if you don't mind my asking, did you implement to get to, to jumpstart this process to get mm-hmm. everybody on board to make that connection with your team yeah. that say, OK, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to do it. And instead of just being a mission statement, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. people forget about it. How did you have your team live it? So the first thing we had to do, the culture had grown pretty stale um, and and people were really focused on everything that was broken instead of anything that was working. And the prosperity consciousness, you know, the 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 idea of being successful had sort of sort of faded because many things were were on a downward trend. So I did a couple of things. The first thing I had to do was let everybody know that there was going to be a whole bunch of change coming. And so I instituted an affirmation for everyone that said, change is our friend. So I want you to remember over the next three years, we're going to be doing a lot of changes and change is our friend. And, you know, you explain the idea that change is the only constant in the universe. Look around nature. Nothing stays static. If it does, it's dying or decaying. And so I prepared the whole organization that we're going to be in this really um, great state of change over the next few years. And then secondly, 
I did. Uh, are you familiar with Simon Sinek's work? Yes. Yeah, I used to work. He put two offices down from me okay. in an uh, ad agency in New so York. Amirati Puris Lintas. I know. I know. I'm not. I'm not like his buddy or anything, but I I know him in terms sure. of I, I'm. He he was a uh, a colleague. So he's famous for the exercise around my why, and everyone that was serving here was largely here because they felt it was noble, right? It's a spiritual nonprofit, and so I had everyone re-examine their why. Why are you here? And we took out cards, and everybody wrote down their why, and they kept those at their desk, and we took pictures of associates with their why and put it up on bulletin boards in different places around campus. And it sort of helped everyone reset as to, oh yeah, this is why I'm here. We started putting forth testimonials and success stories uh, of those that we serve and how they were moved by the work that we were doing. And so that, that really shifted everybody out of the negativity and reset sort of everyone's compass as to why they were here. So now they're present with why they're here. They're feeling good about their work again. We're sharing success. We redid the mission statement with their input, um, and and it, it sort of and then we we know there's a whole bunch of change coming, right? Because we we said that, and so uh, that was really the foundation to change the culture. And then from there, it really just becomes about action. So we started doing some innovation in the work that we were doing and having some success, and then recommunicating how that was successful and what their contributions were to it, and you know a handful of those one right after the other, and you begin to to really build some great momentum and people start believing in themselves again. And we started turning some of the numbers around. And so then people really felt like they were, were being successful. And it just all builds uh, upon itself. But you kind of have to start with that, that fresh foundation, as mm-hmm. it were. Putting all this into uh, action, if you will, the world's best laid plans sometimes go awry. You must yes. have had things come up that you weren't anticipating and you had to respond with. Uh, like Mike Tyson always says, the, you can have a great plan until you get punched in the face. So yeah. what did you run into personally as a CEO in terms of, oh, I wasn't expecting this. Here's what I need to do, whether it's about yourself or it's about how you interface with the team, the mission statement, just the day-to-day vibe and the environment and the culture. What, what was the challenge that you had that you weren't necessarily expecting when you got into your role? I'll give you two things. So <clears throat> when the board chose me, they chose me specifically because of my technology background and the years of innovation, automation, and enhancement I had done throughout my career. And so they really wanted to bring that level of change to the organization because it needed it. It needed a dramatic turnaround. And what I will tell you is it's one thing for them to say they want it. But when I began to bring forth all of these significant changes in strategy and direction, I was met with some resistance. And that took me aback because in every interview I participated in, my peers on the leadership team and the board, we want great change. And yet they were really resistant (laughs) to some of the changes. And so I learned that I had to really slow things down. I had to provide a lot more information. I wasn't going to get to the things I wanted to at the pace I wanted to. In fact, I had to do them in smaller bite sizes so that people could see it and then believe it because uh, they just weren't ready for the magnitude that I came out with. And so that was a that was a real challenge for me. I, 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 there were times where I was wondering, why am I here? I, you mm-hmm. wanted me here for all this change. I'm trying to do it. And I was getting resistance. And so, mm-hmm. but I just slowed everything down, uh, took some smaller steps. And then that me- momentum began to, to really build on itself. The second thing I would say is I work on a 1,200 acre campus that's been here for 100 years. 
And when I got here, it has 465,000. This is just an example, 465,000 square feet of office space. And the population had shrunk, our employee population had shrunk down to where we we're using about a third of that space, which means there was two thirds of this campus, which is a beautiful, stunning campus that was sitting empty and mothballed. <laughs> and so that didn't seem, uh, it seemed wasteful to me. It wasn't prudent. And so one of the things I, I suggested we do was begin to lease uh, some of this space to other organizations, like-minded organizations. And I'll tell you that that made a whole lot of people really, really nervous because for the first time ever, they were going to have people that other than, you know, unity affiliate culture yeah. on campus. And, and so there was a lot of concern about that. And I took a lot of flack for that. And I'll tell you early on in my career as a CEO, um, I took a lot of the criticism and commentary personally somewhat, but I'll tell you the other thing that happened that I didn't, uh, I have since resolved, it made me question my vision. I had a very clear vision of where I was headed and what I thought was possible. And when these stark criticisms would come forth, I would pause and begin to question, well, maybe I'm not right here. Maybe this is a mistake. And so fortunately for me, I had a, a, a trusted coach that I was working with at that time. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of helped me see, which do you trust? Do you trust this feedback more or do you trust the intuition and the guidance and the vision that you got for what this can be, which do you believe more? And to his credit, I, I certainly believed in my vision more. And so I was able to, despite the criticism, move ahead and sure enough, everything turned out uh, the way we wanted. But I share that story to say, um, you're going to get criticized. You're going to get challenges when you're creating great change. And my advice would be to really contemplate um, which you believe more before you waver. Uh, because sometimes we'll get thrown off course by someone's idea of what's right or wrong. And so um, I just caution you that uh, you may meet that kind of resistance and, and just stay the course. If you really believe in it, stay the course and it will it will come to fruition. So those were probably the two, two examples of some really big challenges I faced uh, coming back. Jim Blake, you're doing terrific work. You're a beacon for other leaders who want to integrate more of the right-minded, quote-unquote, spiritual foundation into their work. Thank you for doing that. The name of the book is The Zen Executive Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. Jim Blake, where can more people find out about you and your organization? Yep. So uh, obviously the book is on Amazon.com. You can also find a lot about me and the book at IamJimBlake.com. And then finally, if you're interested in uh, some of the spiritual tools and resources I mentioned earlier um, available from Unity, you can find that at Unity.org. Fantastic. Great job. Keep up doing the good work you're doing. It's needed. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me on and for all the good work you're doing in the world. I appreciate it. It's Guys Guy Radio. Guys Guys Radio, welcoming back my friend and my teacher, Bill McKenna. Bill is the developer of the Cogno Movement. And it's, a, it's an exercise system designed for quick, powerful changes to chronic patterns and problems. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, Bill. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on again. I just love the work you're doing. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about what, what happens when you overindulge. And again, we're not medical practitioners. We're not doctors. But Bill has done some energetic work. I've done energetic work. And we're just going to talk about some of the 
potential concepts that you can consider when you've overindulged, whether it be in a product or uh, overindulging in emotions. But nowadays, since things are kind of very tight and uh, tense, things can get triggered and slip out of hand very quickly. So let's talk about that, Bill, because you had some ideas you want to share with us. Well, um, there's uh, a very interesting technique that I wanted to share that is about relieving all of those symptoms of a hangover uh, of whatever type naturally. So, so there's obviously when we overindulge in, say, drinking, for example, you know, there's obviously it taxes our physical body in so many ways. And uh, we've all felt those effects. Well, I would say most people on the, on the planet have uh, had the effects of uh, maybe a, a, an overindulgent night. And, you know, maybe it's not like when we were in college, right? And really going on a bender, but you know, you went to dinner and you just had maybe, you know, a few drinks and you, you wake up with that feeling, you know, like, uh, I'm a little slow today, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a way in which you can completely be relieved of that in minutes and, and not through any sort of other drugs or anything. Overindulgence is a really interesting thing. Uh, the way you put it, I like the way you put it. Overindulging in, let's say, negative uh, negative feelings. It turns out that there are certain chemicals that get released, right? When uh, and we've all felt it. If you looked at it like anger, or maybe you got just betrayed, well, your ner- nervous system literally lights up, and and with that, all kinds of chemicals get released in your body and you feel it literally physically for a period of time afterwards, right? You don't feel right. Well, this method is a way that you can completely flush and calm the system down. Now, um, uh, this information, uh, that was a gift from one of the masters that I had studied with, uh, I didn't believe it. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, you're, you're so full of it. You know, that, that can't even be true. And then, and then I did it for myself and it worked. And I thought, oh, wow. Well, maybe that's just me wishing or psychosomatic, you know, right? And then without saying anything, one student, you know, when people come to one of my seminars, right, they come to San Diego and then they're, it's like, Hey, we're on vacation, you know, and they're, you know, they, they're, you know, Margarita, <laughs> right? What's in, Margarita, right? <laughs> yeah. Mexican food. What goes with that? Tequila, right? Margarita, right? So, so, you know, they come in and they've, they've, you know, obviously had too much. So uh, one of them was, you know, they actually admitted they were like, oh, my gosh, I just don't do this ordinarily. But, you know, I got into it last night a little bit too much. So it was the obvious, you know, the whole droopy eyed. So I said, OK, well, let's just let's just try a little meditation. 
So I'll walk everybody through this. Now, obviously, you don't want to be driving when you're doing this or operating heavy machinery or anything like that. But it's very, very simple. What you do is you start with every cell in your body. So every cell in your body, you imagine a little silver grounding tube that comes off of every cell and goes down to your lower intestines. So every single cell in your body, you imagine from the marrow of the bones, the bones themselves, every, every tissue, your skin, your hair, your eyes, your brain, every cell, every neuron, all grounded out from every organ has this little silver hollow tube going down to the lower intestines. And then you imagine a tube that you're sitting on, kind of like uh, just a big, you can imagine a silver tube that, that you're sitting on, and that goes down into the center of the earth. Above your head, above your head, you imagine a huge faucet. Now, I always like to uh, imagine that it's the water from Lourdes, Lourdes, France, one of these holy sites. There's lots of holy sites around the world. Pick one you like. You can choose Lourdes, or if you don't like that, from an aquifer in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, the farthest reaches from any contamination, you imagine you turn on the faucet over your head, and this water is coming down through the top of your head and hydrating every single cell in your body. And all of the effects of the alcohol, the drug, whatever it might be, has a place to go. It can flow down those tubes. So you just allow this water to fill up every single cell in the body, and all of those effects of the alcohol all draining off to the lower intestines through the tubes. And then from the lower intestines, it's dropping down into the earth. Okay, question for you. Obviously, we all know that um, we, we uh, deplete some of the traces of what we've ingested the previous evening or whatever. And uh, so we get a lot of the physical out of us. What you're speaking about is the energetic residue that's there with us and how to transmute that through our body, out of our body, through visualization and transmute it into the earth. As part of that, do you suggest that we have some type of contact with Gaia, the planet, and ask for our permission to help Gaia transmute it into the earth. You certainly can do that. It's all from the earth. Everything is from the earth. 
everything that we are physically in our body and anything we've ever ingested all came from the earth. It will eventually go back to the earth, every bit of it. So our gratitude, all, all I would say is if we simply had gratitude, gratitude for the earth and all it provided, which is our physical being. There's also that spiritual component, but, but as far as the physical goes, um, you know, I always like to look at it as that we are really one with the earth, everything in us, right? It's, it is absolutely provided by and nourished by the earth. That's kind of what I was getting at, that Gaia is part of it and we're part of Gaia. So for everybody out there, my special guest, once again, is Bill McKenna. He's been a, a frequent guest on the show and he always has great tips. And today he's the founder of the Cogno Movement System. Today we're talking about how to eradicate kind of a, when you overindulge, whether it be negative emotions, hangover, maybe you took too many, whatever, and how to get that out of your system. Now, of course, we talked about this, the pure physical ways, but also there's a physicality to moving the energy through and out of your body. That's what Bill's been talking about. And we're not saying do this while you're listening to the show, but when this happens and you're home safely, give it a try or give it the consideration. If this is something that seems to vibe for you, Bill's telling us a story of how it worked for him. To me, it makes perfect sense. Keep going, Bill. Well, this, uh, this process right here of energetically flushing all of the cells in our body, everything has an energy or frequency to it. Alcohol has a certain energy or frequency. Whatever it is, it all has that. And this pure water coming through and hydrating every cell, right, in our body and having a place, if you look at it, it is a way for every cell in your body to finally have a fast, easy way to release that unresourceful energy. So with this, with this flushing, if you talk to every cell in your body as you're, as you're doing this and you say to your, every cell in your body, hey, it's okay. It's okay now. You can actually let this go. And this is a safe way to do that. Here is your tube and, and you can let it go now. Now, when we're doing this, after a few minutes, what you'll do is you'll turn up the volume of the water, right? We want to get more water. And with your intention, you command every grounding tube to get three times bigger. And now there's even more flow going through the entire system. Typically, what happens with this entire process is somewhere in the vicinity of about six minutes or so, you should have a dramatic decrease in those hangover type of feelings. So just notice as you go, you know, you can set your timer for six minutes. You know, the, your standard phone has a timer on it. 
set a timer for six minutes, see how it goes. If it's not completely gone, then, you know, set another six minutes and see how that goes for you. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's build on that, Bill, because it sounds like this is a technique and a process that can be used transcending overindulgence. It could be just life where you want to clean yourself out and kind of get clear and transmute everything through you. Would you consider using the same process for that? Maybe it's negative thinking, self-loathing, lack of confidence, fear, whatever gets in our way gets bottled up in our system somewhere physically shows up. And I think it's important, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, to release that stuff, not let that stuff not up in our systems because that can create then uh, disease. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is, um, you know, you're so, you're so on Robert. It's just, I love working with you and guys, guys it, radio. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, I tell a little story, right? There was a, uh, Dr. Diaz, Dr. Diaz at, uh, I think it was UCSD here in San Diego. Uh, he had done some work with rats. And what he did is he had, he, he wanted to see if we pass from generation to generation uh, our traumas. So he had a, he had a bunch of uh, mice, I guess it was probably mice in a box, and the bottom of the box was electrified. Now what he did was he put the mice in there and then he had this fruity smell. He took the fruity smell and waved it over the box and then he electrocuted or shocked the mice. Like he gave them a shock, not enough to kill them, but just shocked them. And then, you know, and then he did the same thing a couple days later, put the fruity smell in, shock them. He did this for a period of time over and over and over. So obviously, right, the, the rats when they, or mice, when they smell that fruity smell, it's like, oh, oh, oh no, oh no, here it comes. Bam. Oh, ouch. Right. <laughs> So, so anyway, what he did then is he took the egg and sperm out of those artificially inseminated into other mice that had never met the mice that had been traumatized. So the babies had never met their true parents. Now the babies are born. He puts those into a box, right? He lets them mature, right? Now they're fully matured mice. And he waves the fruity smell over the box of these offspring. They go absolutely bonkers. It's like, holy, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> so they were completely traumatized by the fruity smell. They're like, oh, this is very bad. Well, is that this the DNA programming or is this energetic program or is this mental programming? What happened to uh, and where are we going with this? Well, point is, is that, that we pass down from ancestor to ancestor, and that's why we have a lot of the feelings we do. Use this process. Use this process of flushing for all of my ancestors' enslavements, their traumas, all the things that, all their fears, all the wars or that they've anger, been through, right, all yeah. their anger. You can flush out things out of your system that are not yours, but they got from your ancestors to you through your DNA and through your genes. That's amazing. 
Bill McKenna, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, your host here, Robert Manny. Great tips as usual. Let's take it, let's flip it around and say, okay, how do you energize yourself? Like sometimes we get exhausted, we all do, particularly nowadays, mentally, energetically. Can we use techniques such as this and tweak it so we actually bring energy? Maybe we release old energy out and bring in new energy. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. So this technique right here is um, for what I what I just described, and you will get more energy because you are absent all of those things that brought you down. When you're done with this exercise, you turn off the water and you imagine disconnecting all of those grounding cords and letting them fall down to the center of the earth. But specifically, if you find yourself exhausted, right? If you find yourself exhausted, one of those, one of the simple techniques is to raise up your eyebrows. Hold your eyebrows in an up position. Scrunch your eyebrows up. There is a nerve that that is controlling part of your brain when you scrunch your eyebrows up and you have to hold them i know this is a little bit hard but you have to hold them for maybe two minutes or so and it'll be like you drank three cups of coffee it's what like you, what do you do with your eyes when you're doing that so you pull your eyebrows just, you look up it's, nope you don't have to look anywhere you merely uh, scrunch your eyebrows up hmm. and hold it just wow. scrunch them up and hold and I and what, do this. What does that trigger, Bill? So that triggers a neurological response in your brain and then your energy system, which wakes you up. It'll wake you up. So that's, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Isn't that? Bill McKenna, my friend and teacher, and you, you know why. Let's see if we can get to one more thing quickly. Um, there is another technique that I should okay. give you about waking up, right? Yes. And, and that is, if you were to feel right here, there is a sore spot. So Bill's touching uh, for our listeners. That, say if you, went, if you went directly at the level of the, uh, you know, as far as dead to center, like where the, your nipples are, and then up, it's like if you took your hand and you widen it out, the thumb and the, and the, and the middle finger, you'll find a place there that hurts yes. so just press around you press around and you'll find like if you can't find it it's the place that hurts okay mm -hmm. you found the place that hurts and all you do here is simply just breathe through your nose and massage the point do you uh go clockwise counterclockwise does it matter you can, doesn't matter you can and do it like, either way and for our listeners out there this is kind of right uh inside where your armpits are go 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 towards the middle of your chest about uh, a third of the way there you'll feel a tender spot you can do use your thumbs to do it or your two uh it, index finger and middle finger whatever but you will feel it yeah it doesn't matter you'll feel it and so so uh, you may feel like one side's tender and the other side's not, right? But just rub it. Just keep rubbing it. You know, a couple minutes, minute, couple minutes. And then you'll find that uh, you, you wake up. What and is this connected to, Bill? What are these so, connected to? Yeah, that's a really good question, Robert. Um, it's, they are connected to your meridian system. So you have these, you know, the acupuncture type points that, you know, they knew about in the East. So you have a natural cycle. 
you know how you go to sleep every night, you get tired and you just go to sleep, right? Your energy goes in reverse. And then when you get up in the morning, right, your energy starts to move forward. So there is a natural cycle of my energy. When I start to get tired, like, hey, man, I'm going to, we're going down, you know, and uh, my energy is, is going in reverse. What this does is it forces the energy into a forward pattern and it'll do, it'll stay in the forward pattern for a while until you redo it again. Amazing. Bill McKenna, always welcome here on Guys Guys Radio because he has the best, easiest to use tips that you'll have some real results from. And again, these are suggestions. And as Bill will always say, you've got to vibe with it to have it work and you have to be open-minded. So thanks so so much for being here, Bill. Tell everybody where they can find more about you, Cogno Movement, and also your radio show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cognomovement.com. C-O-G-N-O-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com. And uh, the radio show is on the UK Health Radio and it's called New Life Perspectives. You can see 60 episodes, 60 episodes there, and all of them have one of these tips at the end. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being back with us on Guys Guys Radio. We'll see you again soon, Bill. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, two terrific discussions with two guys, guys. Let's talk about what we learned today from Jim Blake, the CEO of Unity World Headquarters, who wrote the book, The Zen Executive, about uh, spiritual values woven into the corporate experience. What did we learn there? I think we learned that you can be mindful of your spiritual values and be a successful business executive. I think there's three three rules to follow. One is to, to listen. You really got to listen to the the pulse of your company and your employees, what they have to say, how they feel to create the right working environment where they feel like being heard. Number two, I think you have allow, you have to allow people the latitude to be able to stub their toe now and then and make some mistakes along the way because that's how people learn. And uh, when they're new to positions, a lot of times people come into these new positions, they try hard, maybe they mess something up. You make sure you have some backstops for that and that you'll see how people grow if they if you're not intimidating them or making them work through fear, not through inspiration. And the third thing is, I think it's important to lead by example. So not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And these are important foundation building blocks for being a successful business executive in any company. From Bill McKenna, once again, we learned a lot of tips about how to manage our energy in any situation. I always thank Bill for coming on. Again, he is the developer, the founder of the Cogno Movement, and he is a fantastic guy. He's one of my teachers, and he always is welcome on the show, and he's always got some great great tips. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio. Thank you so much. I'm going to be back here next week, and until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>